Make sure you get each other's name and rejoice.
and the Lord of Lords, shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, for he is the one that loves us so.
is good to see all of you today. Would you please take the black folder that's in the front of your seats there? It's the friendship folder. We'd like you to sign that and just pass that down to your friends so that we can keep a record of you being here and just knowing that you are worshiping with us today. A couple of uh, great announcements here. We had an awesome Friday night. It was our first movie night of the summer. We saw Dolphin Tail, and it was really, really a great time. People from our community and our church gathered together, and we, uh, we did have to meet in the gymnasium, but it was still a great time, just fellowship and hanging out and just um, enjoying each other's company. We also have two more coming up. The next one will be July 31st, which is a Friday night, which is really cool because that is the last night of our vacation Bible school. Our vacation Bible school is coming up soon. It runs from July 27th through the 31st, and it's in the morning, I believe, from 9 to noon. We want you to invite all the little ones in our community from those going into kindergarten through fifth grade. It is going to be a great week of activities and enjoying sharing Jesus with the little ones that um, are coming and just wanting to know more about Jesus. We need your help. We really need you to just take some time, if you're able to, and give it to working for Vacation Bible School. If you're interested in that, please see Courtney at the back table in the foyer. But we could use all of your help to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our Vacation Bible School. Um, so I think that's, that's it. There are some other announcements as they are rolling through the screen. And also, if you are a new visitor and you're just checking out the church, we'd like you to stop at our Welcome Center. We have a neat gift of chocolate for you. And also, um, it's a great wealth of information for um, just what our church is all about. So we're excited to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you, Rhonda. Well, it's so exciting to uh, see everybody in the church this morning. We had a hard time getting you out of the foyer today. Everybody comes in, they want to talk, they want to catch up. We have some people out of from out of town today. We're trying to catch up on a lot of information, but we're happy you're here. If you're happy you're here, say amen. 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 Uh, just a, just a, a number of other things. Uh, this is the last Sunday of June. And this will be the last Sunday you'll see this little piece of paper in your Sunday courier. And on this paper, there is a line for you to sign and put in the offering plate as it comes your way this morning. And what that means is that you will unite with us uh, for July and August to pray our list. And this is our list. And you'll get one of these every Sunday in your Sunday courier. I have them spread around our house at home, so wherever I go, there's one of these. And it, it's a reminder to me uh, to pray five days a week through June, July, and August for the personal items that are on the front of the list and then those items that are on the back of the list. Uh, if you'd like to join our prayer team, just put your name on this little piece of paper this morning. Put it in the offering plate. I'll put your name on my personal prayer list, and I'll pray for you five days a week for July and August. And my prayer will be for you that God will keep you focused, spiritually speaking, in the summertime. You know, summer is a distracting time. You know, we've got a million things to do, but we certainly don't want to be distracted away from our communion with God. And so that's what I'll pray. Whenever I get your name, I'll put your name on that list. We're praying that God would use us as we travel. Many of our people are traveling right now. Uh, you know, every now and then I peek on Facebook, and there are no secrets on Facebook. You know that? Uh, everybody's life is all out there. Some of our people are in Florida. Some are in North Carolina. 
They're all over the place. And I hope they're taking their list with them. Uh, Joanne and I are going to California in a couple weeks for a short period of time uh, for the wedding of our grandson. And uh, we're going to take our list all the way from Finleyville to Carmel, California. And uh, we're going to pull this list out every day, and we're going to think of our church home back here. We're going to stay connected with you, with you as you do the ministry while that short period of time that we're away. So this is really important. Um, also, inside your courier, there's a, there's a little announcement on the right side here at the bottom about the Czechoslovakian Baptist Convention that's going to be held in a couple weekends up in Meadville, Pennsylvania. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you, and I'm going to give you a weekend off if you want to do this. I, I want to encourage you to go check that out. It's on the beautiful campus of Allegheny College. Uh, I was never up there until last year, and I went up for their Friday night session. And this is a wonderful group of people that come together, and they have a, a, a desire to reach over into that area, Czechoslovakian uh, area of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ because they tell us that it's the most atheistic country in the world. It's called the Czech Republic and our church here has a missionary over there and so uh, go home and look up their website and see all the activities that you can participate in uh, over those few days. It'll just be a nice little trip up there. A couple hours, it's beautiful, there's lots of things for you to do with your family in that area. Okay, let's stand together as our ushers come this morning, and we'll receive our morning offering together. We thank you every, uh, every Sunday from our heart uh, for your participation financially in the ministry of our church. This enables us to do everything that we do for young people, for missionaries around the world, and uh, it gives us a blessing because the Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So let's thank the Lord for these gifts this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for taking care of us and giving us strength to go to work, uh, for providing a job for us, Lord. We don't take this for granted in our world today. We thank you. We give you credit for this, Lord. And now we come to share with you what you've given to us for the ministry of your church. I pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
Exciting to worship the Lord together. Thank you to our band for leading us in worship. Thank you, Sean. If you take your Bible and head over to Acts chapter 12, we're going to continue on Acts chapter 12, the TV series AD that we've been following. Um, that ended last Sunday evening uh, with, um, with an exciting end, but they also left you hanging. If you watched it, you know they left you hanging, and I think today you're going to see a little bit of the sequel. Uh, because the book is always better than the movie. Remember that. The book is always better than the movie. So we have the book, and we've always had the book. So I want to direct you to the book, Acts chapter 12, because the book is better than the movie. And, uh, and as we look at that book this morning, I want you to ask this question, what is God doing? 
know, sometimes as I, as I read this passage and I, I look through this, that was the question that just jumped off the page at me. What is God doing? And so many times in our life, I, in my life, I tend to ask that question. I see a circumstance. I see things that are happening in my life. I see things that are happening in our world. And I ask, what is God doing? And I think sometimes we ask that in two ways. Sometimes we say, like, we're, we're really inquisitive. What is God doing here? And then there's other times we're like, oh, God, what are you doing? And we just don't understand. We're, we're trying to figure out what, what is he, what is, how, well, how is his ways. We see negative circumstances that we don't totally comprehend. Last week we left off in chapter 11. The gospel had spread and it spread out to Antioch at 300 miles from Jerusalem. It's now into Antioch of Syria. The, the gospel's making a, a, a far range now and it's going to go worldwide. Um, and Acts 11.29 says this, then the, then the disciples, each according to his own ability, to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. So the church, that had, as it reached out and spread out and new believers came to Christ, people were following Jesus, what did they do? They started to send relief. And this was all the Gentiles, all the, all the people, it was all fresh territory, and now as the church is established, in Antioch, they see that there's issues that needs help back in Judea and Jerusalem, and they send help. They send their finances to help. They send relief. And that's what we want our church to be. We want our church to be an Antiochian church. Um, as you look through the book of Acts, you'll see in early in Acts, the center, the epicenter was Jerusalem. And then it moves on up to Antioch. The second half, you'll see that Antioch plays a major role in the life of the, of the church. And uh, we're going to jump back here in chapter 12 to an event that happens in Jerusalem. But as you look the rest of the rest of the book, you'll see Antioch plays a major role in relief and in, in caring for people and sending missionaries out. And the church in Antioch cared about the, the work of God worldwide. David Platt says that there are 2 billion people today that don't know Jesus Christ. 2 billion billion people. And yet we come together in America, we have our churches, we have all this, and he says that our churches today need to be churches like that of Antioch, where they send relief worldwide, helping missionaries. And not just helping, but sending people to go to distant lands so that the Word of God would be preached, so that the Word of God would be spread. This is the mission to what God has called us to do. So as we look at the second half, you'll see Antioch. But today we're jumping back to Jerusalem and pick up in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. The very first thought in your notes this morning is this, to expect opposition in your life as you seek to follow Christ. Expect opposition in your life as you seek to follow Christ. There are things as you're seeking to move forward, it's going to feel like you're moving two steps forward, three steps back, and it will, the opposition at times will be overwhelming. But expect it. Know it. Look at verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Um, as you're reading in the Bible, you'll see a lot about King Herod. Um, you know, remember, it, King Herod was also a king whenever Jesus was born. And here we are now. This, this, this is 10 years after Jesus' resurrection. We see King Herod. Well, there were several King Herods, and we'll just put up a little chart here. There was Herod the Great. That was the one that was at Je when Jesus was born. He was known for making a name for himself. He had a large building program. He was all about himself. He was building himself up. 
But yet there were other Herods. And, and when we think of Herods, these other Herods, it's kind of like a family name. Herod. King Herod. So there was Herod the Great. Then there was Herod Antipas. Uh, Herod Antipas was actually the son of another, uh, another Herod. Herod Aristobulus. Herod Aristobulus was actually the son of Herod the Great. He was a threat to his father, so his father just said, I'm going to kill him. And so he killed him off because he was a threat to his own power. You want to talk about family problems. You want to talk about bad apples in your family, huh? So we just kill him off. And so he killed him off. But this Antipas was the, the son of Aristobulus. And he carries on the tradition of the Herods of being self-serving and self-seeking. And uh, he actually ordered the, the uh, beheading of John the Baptist. It was Herodias that was the sister of Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa I is who we see in this passage here. Herod Agrippa I was the, uh, Herodias was his sister, and she was uh, partly responsible for asking, for requesting the head of John the Baptist. And then, as you look further on into the book of Acts, you'll see a Herod that shows up again. That's Herod Agrippa II. And Paul gives his defense before Herod Agrippa II. So as, you, as you're reading here today, I want you to see this is Herod Agrippa I, and he is continuing the tradition of self-serving, has to get rid of the opposition to him. He's trying to wipe out the church because it's a threat to his very own power. So let's pick up in verse, uh, verse 1 again. About the time that Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. This was James, um, not the brother of Jesus, but this was James, the, the brother of John, one of the twelve. And, uh, and we know that Stephen, we, we look back and you see Stephen, how Stephen had been stoned. Um, Stephen was the first martyr. He was a deacon, and, uh, and he was a great speaker, but yet he gave his life. And, and we see all this long history about a whole chapter devoted to the martyrdom of Stephen, but yet we just see a brief history here about the first apostle that gives his life, James. Um, the Jews were okay to see, see the Christians killed. That was, they, didn't, they didn't like the movement, and so they were okay with, uh, with King Herod doing this. But so here's James, and it says, Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And that's pretty much it. And look at number three of chat, uh, verse 3 here. Verse 3 says, And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Um, James was likely beheaded. Uh, but when it says with the sword, he, he was taken by the sword. I, I don't know if you watched the AD series this week. Uh, th for that finale, that, and they, they used some of their creative liberties to show uh, their, the desecration of the temple, and they're bringing in a statue to the temple, and before the Roman guards, up come the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're ready, you know, they're trying to resist it, and yet out of the crowd comes Peter, and Peter comes out, and he kneels down, and, and he takes his cloak, and he opens his neck like this, as if to say, take me first. And then out come the other disciples. And then, then even the, the, the scribes and Pharisees, they all go to their knees and they all have their heads like this. This is what happened to James. He was beheaded. He was likely beheaded. He, was, he had given his life. And now Peter. And because he saw, because Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, the Jews were happy over this, and that he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Uh, and, and he proceeded to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. 
It was during another one of their festivals. This was associated closely with Passover. And uh, it, w- it would not have been the right time, uh, unlawful, to, uh, to, to go through the trial at this point. So he's put him in the jail until the end of the days of unleavened bread. He would, he would take him out. Verse 4, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So Herod makes a step here, and he is going after the church. What better way to take the church down than to take its leaders down? So he was coming. First he takes James down, and now he's got Peter in jail. And Peter's sitting there. He's, he's waiting his arraignment. He's waiting, actually, his execution. It's during this festival, and so the wait is on. And so I want you to think this morning about your life and be remembered that opposition should be expected. We should expect opposition to come in our life. God has uh, given us a mission. He's given us the church to carry forward, but it's not going to be without opposition. Jesus told us, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but I leave you my peace. So you will have trouble. I want you to think of the good things, what God is doing in your life. I want you to think of the, 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 the forward motion that he's given you, but also be thinking about also there's opposition. And at times you're going to feel like your life has taken two steps forward, but yet three steps backward because there's opposition. It may be opposition in a, in a relationship. It may be opposition in, a, in your career. It may be opposition in, in all the, any area of your life, including even into the church, trying to move the church forward. You know, we had uh, just a small example. We had the, the, uh, the movie night this week, you know. And we're all excited to have the movie. And then the night before we came out to prepare... And uh, we couldn't even prepare the field. <laughs> we were trying to work on the pool down there. And we walked through the swamp on Thursday night down there. It was all swampy. And we're saying, well, what's God doing? And Friday, it was still swampy. And you know, God brought people into the gym. We saw people from our community come. What is God doing? I don't know what he was doing. We, may, we, we could look and say, wow, God has a bigger plan. Expect opposition. You will face it. Um, this week I was talking to a, uh, an individual and I was talking to them about a current event and I shared Jesus as part of that current event and, and this individual just looked at me and went like this. You know, when, when, when you talk to somebody and they're not, they're not accepting it, they're not with you, it's one thing, but whenever they're not accepting and they go, you ever have somebody do that? They, they're like, okay, that's enough. And they act, this, this person took a step back from me and was like, Oh, I could tell that I have crossed the line with him and there was an opposition to the things of God in this individual's life. And so, you know, I started to feel bad. I started to struggle with it. And I'm like, okay, but I know that there's opposition to what God, God's work, what he is doing. But yet greater is God who is in us than he that is in the world. And that's the next thought in your notes this morning. God's power is amazing. The power of God is amazing, and it grows your faith. When I face opposition and I see God display his power, my faith is grown. You know, it's like uh, you see somebody, these great weightlifters. They didn't start out lifting great weights. They started lifting out little weights. And they grew. And as they kept lifting, they grew. And this is what God does with us. He allows things in our life as He's working with us. And our faith grows. But it's by the power of His amazing hand. Look at verse uh, 5 here. 
Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. This is a key verse in this passage. If you're an underliner, that's one to underline. If you're a memorizer, that's one to memorize. But constant prayer was offered to God for him, for Peter, by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, the angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off. Peter's in jail. He's sleeping. He's, he has the, the, the chains. He's bound between two soldiers. He's laying on the cold floor. And it's the night before his trial, before his likely execution. He's thinking about his, his friend, good friend James, that has died uh, just not long ago. And he is now up next. The sword is coming to him. And he is doing what? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. Uh, I don't know. How many of you are light sleepers? If you're a light sleeper, raise your hand. Are you a light sleeper? Okay. How many of you are just dead heavy sleeper? You can sleep through anything, all right? Yeah, yeah. I know when, when we first start, when my wife and I first started dating, I would get in the car and drive, and within 10 minutes she'd be asleep. It's just incredible. You know, she can sleep in the car and, uh, at, at, at any moment's notice. And, um, and, and it's, uh, it's historical in their family. It's not just her. Like, they all can do that. My father-in-law talks about it. You know, he gets in a car and he says, it's a lonely place in a car. His wife goes right to sleep. And, uh, but, you know, light sleeper or a heavy sleeper. Um, you know, I'm one of those guys, I could probably sleep through anything. Once I get down, I can just about sleep through anything. There's storms will come, and I can just sleep right through the storm and never knew it happened. But yet, I have a daughter who follows the tradition uh, of others that, that, that just wakes up as soon as they hear the, the little crack of a lightning out there. I'm like, oh, man, I ha- I, the tree has to fall in the house to wake me up. My daughter hears the wind blowing and it wakes her up. But Peter, he, why could he sleep? Why could he sleep? He, th- this is devastating. This, this is the, the, the greatest odds that have ever happened against him. He is now, I mean, he had been in jail in chapter 4. He was in jail in chapter 5. And now here he is. He's in jail. But it's time for the execution. It's getting, it is mounted. And Herod is taking, and he's trying to get rid of these Christians. He's going after the leadership. Peter was fast asleep because he had the peace of God upon him. He had perfect peace. That very night that he contemplated his execution, his Sleep was from an unquestioning trust in God. Psalm 127 verse 2 says this, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Now there are times that we we allow our mind and we get entangled with some worries. We get the, the situation, circumstances, and things cause us to lose sleep. It happens to me. It happens to everybody. Where we take our mind and we stop dwelling on who God is and his plan, and, and rest and comfort and assurance in what he's doing, and I am now at torment because I am thinking about what might happen, what could happen, what did happen, and I, my mind is consumed. But yet, God says here, he gives his beloved sleep. And, and Peter himself, 
Here he is, he's asleep. And he even told us this in uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, which is his, one of his first letters. He says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. You know, it'd be, be like me taking, and, and this is my worries and my cares. And, you know, I would get up in the morning. No wonder I couldn't sleep. I've got this weight that I've been carrying all day. I, I've been carrying it all morning long. And I'm thinking about all the things that, I've, that, I've been, that are going wrong, that might go wrong, and the things that have gone wrong. And I'm worried about my mistakes. I'm worried about just everything. And God says to come... And Peter's telling us here to give your worries over to God. To take them, to stop carrying them. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And I can lay it down at the feet of God. And that's where Peter was. Peter was asleep in jail. And as he's asleep in jail, he is... He is comforted by the peace that passes all understanding that can only come from God. He has a confident trust in the, in the, king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Look at verse 8. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie, tie on your sandals. And so he did. And, and he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. You know, verse 7 said that the angel had to hit him. He had to, I mean, he, he was a heavy sleeper. The angel had to smack him and wake him up. I mean, he's that sound asleep. So he gets him. He's a little disoriented. Verse 9, so he went out and followed him, and yet he did not know that, he, uh, that what was done by the angel was real, for he thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and second, gate, uh, second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. So the iron gate opens on its own. God is performing a miracle here. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from them. Look at verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Boy, this phrase right there. And when Peter had come to himself. When Peter came to himself, finally, after all, all the things that he's dealing with, he's, he, God takes him and gets him out of the jail, and he finally, he, wow, God did something. He came to himself, he's finally full awake, and he realizes this is not a vision, this is not a dream. God has actually stepped in and has done something powerful here. He has gotten Peter out of the jail, and now the angel disappears. The angel's gone. And he goes, look where he has to go here, verse, uh, verse 12. So when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. The, uh, you know, in verse 5, it said that the church was praying. They were constantly, they were in continual prayer. Um, th this was Jerusalem. This was the church at Jerusalem was praying. When we think of the church today, you think of, okay, crosswords, Crossroads Ministries. We came up the hill, we pulled in, we're at church. But that, when they're talking about the church, that word church is the church. In other words, everybody around Jerusalem that, that was part of the followers of Christ, they were praying. This was a movement of prayer. And yet he comes up to one of the houses where they're praying. Look at verse 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate. 
but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is an angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished, but, mo- but motioning to them that his hand, uh, with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, Go tell all these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So here's Peter. The angel's gone, and now he's going, I've got to tell somebody that's okay. God has done this work, and he, and he comes up, and he, he come, these are, it's a rather large house. Probably about 40 or 50 people have gathered together, and he's knocking at the gate, and he's trying to get their attention. Hey, I'm, I've been released, and, and the maid servant comes out, and probably in like a vestibule area. So you had the rest of the people here, a vestibule area. The maid servant comes out, and here's the, here's the, the knocking. That's Peter's voice. That's Peter's voice. So immediately she leaves and goes and tells these people, Hey, you can stop praying now. Peter's outside. <laughs> Rhoda, you must, be, you must be mad. We're praying for Peter. He's in jail. Don't you understand? Leave us pray. No, no, no. You don't understand. He's out there. I recognize his voice. He's knocking. He's trying to come in. And in the meantime, God had answered their prayer and they didn't even recognize it. They, were, they didn't even know that God had answered their prayer. She's trying to tell them the answer is outside the door. God has already performed it. So she, she goes, um, and, and the, as you see, the text continues there and says that they said, well, it must be his angel, but okay, Rhoda, we'll, let, let's see who's at the door. And so they come out, and Peter's there, and he, and he comes in and tells them the story. He says, now listen, let me tell you what the Lord has done. And he gives them this great event that happened and shares with them this is an important lesson for us today for the church was in prayer they were in fervent united prayer and if the church today is not in fervent united prayer as our first resource it is showing us that we're depending on something else when we have a when we have a need at the church our need isn't to go to the bank our need isn't to go to our coffers, our need, is to, our need is to go to our God. And when we come before our God and we say, Lord, we have an issue. Lord, we're praying for these movie nights. We want you to bless them. If we do those movie nights in our own power, it is showing that we are depending on us in some creative scheme. And we are not about a creative scheme. We are about the God of the universe working and his mission being fulfilled. Prayer should be consistent. I want you to think about that. Prayer should be consistent. Um, that's what it, it said here. It said that they were constant. In verse 5, it said that the, that the church, the prayer was constant and it was offered to God for him by the church. Being constant. That, that's this idea that was intense. It was fervent. It was earnest. It wasn't something casual. They didn't take it lightly, their prayer. Jared Brock wrote a book, and it's called A Year of Living Prayerfully. Uh, what Jared Brock did was he was struggling in his prayer life, and he said, I'm going to take a year, and I'm going to go study prayer. And, and he went to, went to the book, uh, to, the, to the companies that sell the books, and said, if I do this, can I write the book? And so he got a deal, and they, they went out, and he, he traveled 37,000 miles in, in one year to study prayer. He went to the prayer closet of Charles Wesley. Uh, he went to some of the great, great, Sites in America where people had prayed. 
and he studied prayer. He learned from monks. He went, he went everywhere, all, all that you can imagine. At the end of his journey of prayer, at the end of the 37,000 miles, he said, I have come to this conclusion that prayer has got to be about me connecting with God in a relationship and to be passionate about this relationship with God. He went to the monks and he asked the monks uh, uh, how much you should pray. And they told him, well, a good monk would only sleep one hour a day. And he said, well, I... I'm not going to go that route. I need to be connected to God. Uh, he studied Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence talks a lot about the presence of God. And so he said there's a balance between practicing the presence of God. He's with me every day, but yet I don't sacrifice my time with him in the morning. I don't skip the mealtime. I don't skip the meat. I get up and I meet with God and have this pre- stand in his presence. And yet all throughout the day, I'm walking with him, and I'm in his presence all day long. It should be constant. Prayer must be ongoing. It was offered. This verb here says, uh, the way it's written is like, it was, it was continual. It was, they, were, they were continuing. It was not something that they stopped. Prayer must be, must be to God. For God is the one who is the one with the power. The power is not in our prayer. The power is in God. See, we have a great gift to go to God, but who is the power? Am I the power or is God the power? God is the one with the power. And so we get to come and we get to access the throne room of God and ask God to dispense his power for his will to be done on earth. Prayer must be specific. They prayed for Peter. They said that they were asking God, Lord, please release Peter. Release him from this jail. And it must be uh, part of the church. It's communal. It's not just something, not just, okay, I can do this on my own. But there's also an element that, yes, you do pray on your own. But now there's the element of coming together with other believers and sharing one another's burdens as we move the church forward. Um, Brother Andrew was known in, uh, for his book called God's Smugglers. In 1955, he began to smuggle Bibles into Eastern Europe. And uh, he said this. He said, our prayers cannot go, uh, our prayers can go where we cannot. There are no borders, no prison walls, no doors that are closed to us when we pray. I want you to think of the great gift that God has given us. When we pray, we get to go. God's work all around the world, we get to go there in prayer. We get to be involved in situations as we share and bear one another's burdens, but we come to God in prayer. We live in a day that you may say that, well, I'll never face this type of situation like Peter. I'll probably never be jailed for preaching the gospel. And I, I grew up thinking that, that I would never be jailed for preaching the gospel, but our world is rapidly changing. Have you noticed that? Um, you know, was it last week? Just a week ago, we had the church in South Carolina went through the terrible tragedy where they're having a Bible study and nine people lose their life. Two more churches were burned this week. Two churches. This is the United States of America. And we're facing this type of opposition in churches where we open our doors and say, come and worship our king. And this is starting. And we don't know where this is going but we know who holds the future for us and we know that my job our job as a church is to be praying for that church in South Carolina they're God's people 
And we're to be praying and, 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 and coming behind their, those closed doors. Uh, here, here's another one right here that, that is very, has gotten a lot of attention. There, there are so many people facing persecution right now, facing opposition all over the world for their faith. But one that has gotten a, a, a lot of notoriety has been Pastor Saeed. Many of you are probably already praying for Pastor Saeed. I was just at a conference and I saw his wife. She stood up and she was requesting prayer from a group of pastors. And I sat there and I looked at the person I was with and I had the biggest glassy eyes. And I just said, we honestly don't know what it's like to suffer like that. We don't have a clue. I'm going to show you a video. This is his wife requesting prayer for Pastor Saeed. My husband, Pastor Saeed Abedini, has been sentenced to eight years in prison, in an Iranian prison, because of his Christian faith. Uh, the kids and I have not seen him uh, in almost three years, and it's been a difficult journey as a single mom for me, and uh, very emotional for the kids as they've missed birthdays and Christmases without him. Uh, I know it's been a difficult journey for Saeed as he stood strong in his faith in, in the face of evil and persecution and tortures. I ask you that as the Bible says in Hebrews 13:3, to remember those in chain as if you're chained with them. I ask you to remember to pray for Saeed and our family. Um, my number one prayer request is that God would give us the strength to continue on this journey, that we would continue to be bold for Christ for both Saeed in prison and for me outside of the prison. I ask you to pray for my kids. I know um, Saeed's biggest prayer would be that they grow up to love Jesus and to want to give their life for Christ and that they wouldn't resent this separation they've had with their dad. So um, appreciate your prayers. Thank you. God bless. We ask ourselves, what is God doing? Pastor Saeed will not recant. He will not denounce Jesus. He is in jail. He's paying the price. He's been there three years already. And look what God is doing through Pastor Saeed. A worldwide movement of prayer start. People are calling on the Lord like never before. We don't know what God is doing. What is God doing it's the one to whom you are praying that has the power. It's the one to whom you pray that has the power. Our God in heaven has given, he has the power, and he's asked us to come to him for him to dispense. He's the one who does the work. And there are times that we do not understand what God is doing. Um, as, as I put in your, the last thought in your notes is this, that God's purposes cannot be stopped. God's purposes cannot be stopped, even in the life of Pastor Saeed and his family. And I do ask that you pray for his wife, for his kids, and for Pastor Saeed. But as, as we think about this, God's purposes haven't been stopped because they threw him in jail. When James was beheaded, God's purposes were not stopped. When Peter was in jail, God's purposes were not stopped. And the same is true today in your life. God's purposes will not be stopped. Uh, amazing possibilities may present themselves as insurmountable challenges. 
amazing possibilities. There are, there's some great things that God is going to do, but it, on, the, on the surface, it looks like an insurmountable challenge. As you go home and read the rest of that passage, um, you would find in the last part of Acts chapter 12, King Herod uh, sets himself, he, he's all dressed up, and he gets, sits on his throne, and the people come before him, and they say, oh, you are God. You really are God. And, 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 and they're, they're building him up, and he says, yeah, I am. And he takes the glory that belongs to God. And immediately, the scripture tells us, he is stricken with, with worms. And he died. He was eaten by worms. Josephus tells us, uh, he gives an account of it that helps us to see that it was likely intestinal worms. And he dies. Wow. God's purposes cannot be stopped. On one hand, Herod was persecuting the church. On the other hand, he tries to take God's glory, and God says, I'll take care of you. I'm, that's it. That's over. You don't mess with me. And this is what happened in that situation. But the question that I have when I look at chapter 12, why did James die and Peter get set free? And I think that's a legitimate question. Why? And that answer comes in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, we hear from the Lord that my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. And God has a plan. And God had a moment for James to come unto him. And Peter, God had more for him to do, but Peter eventually dies. And he comes home to be with God. At the end of the story, God is still in charge. And he is still keeping his purposes and they are rolling. So I want to ask you today, as we close, would you do like Peter? In the midst of your situation, in the midst of the trial, whatever it is that you're facing right now, will you do what he did? Take those cares, take those worries, and listen, they are legitimate. Some of those worries, some of those things we think about are legitimate. They are heavy. And would you do what he said to give your worries God. That's how I'd like to close this morning. Would you take that burden and give it to God? Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like for you to think about your relationship with God. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross. He paid for your sin. He came back to life again that we may have eternal life. And he offers it to you through faith. All you have to do is open your heart and accept Him. Maybe today, this is your day to accept Him. To accept His wonderful offer of salvation. And just call on Him and pray something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But I want your free gift of eternal life. You died on the cross for me. You came back to life again. I invite you into my life right now. And for others today, maybe you're struggling. You're asking, what is God doing? You see issues in your life. You see circumstances in our world, and our world is up, it's down, it's, it's all over the place. But yet God is still moving, and he has a plan, and we can trust him. Today, would you take your worries and give them to God? As we close, honor him and give him your worries. 
Father God, I ask you right now that you'll move in the hearts of our people, Lord, that you would allow them the courage to lay these burdens down at the foot of the cross, that they would walk out of here with a burden lifted because you have met with them. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and close together as we close our service with singing a song. If you'd like to come and kneel and pray, you're, feel free to do so. Or you can pray in your seat. But let's meet with our Lord and respond to Him this morning. Let your glory.